Welcome to Bed Crime Stories Podcast. I'm your host, T, to my bed crimers. Hi, how are you? I hope you're doing well. To anyone new here, a warm welcome. Thank you for checking out the channel. Do me a favor, if after watching the video you find you enjoyed it or you learned something, smash that like button and please consider subscribing. And if you want to support the work I do, please consider a membership. I keep the price really low, $1.99 a month. Hey, that's much less than even one drink from Starbucks. Now, without further ado, let's dig in. Hello, friends. Hope you're having a lovely day, a great Saturday. It's been a hot minute since I've reported on the case out of Moscow, Idaho, the horrible one in which students Kaylee Gonsalves, Madison Mogan, Zana Kernodo, and Ethan Chapin died at the hands of an early morning intruder armed with a sharp-edged object. An article in the Idaho Statesman by Kevin Fixler brought up the question, what if Brian Koberger helped lead police right to him. Fixler wrote that Koberger's own attorneys may raise this question at trial in their efforts to defend him. Fixler wrote, quote, by the end, it could create a new case law for criminal investigators across the United States. Koberger's lead defense attorney, Ann Taylor, is still wanting to know what led the police to her client, as the suspect, she told the court last month, quote, The clear picture that I'm concerned about is the state's pathway of how Brian Koberger comes to their attention and is identified. Over a year into this case, and we're not sure. I know different pieces, but I don't know where they fit together. End quote. We know that in Koberger's probable cause affidavit, police described using traditional investigative techniques to come to the conclusion that Koberger was their suspect. DNA evidence also came into play when it came to alleging Koberger was the perpetrator, but the DNA only factored in after the other evidence, such as the surveillance footage of Koberger's white Elantra and cell phone location data, was unearthed. Six months after Koberger's arrest in December of 2022, Prosecutors acknowledged that an advanced DNA technique known as investigative genetic genealogy, or IgG, is what initially led investigators to Koberger. Per the Idaho Statesman article, quote, the process involves submitting DNA located at a crime scene to public genealogy websites to build a family tree related to possible suspects and narrow an investigation. The police made no mention of the FBI's use of IgG in the affidavit, end quote. Now, you may recall that a single source of male DNA was found on a leather sheath left at the crime scene. That DNA was then processed. Prosecutor Bill Thompson has argued that the state wasn't required to disclose the FBI's use of IgG, and this is because they, meaning the prosecution, doesn't intend to introduce it at the trial. They say it's irrelevant to Koberger's defense. Instead, the prosecution planned to present a comparison of DNA evidence that the police obtained from a cheek swab of Koberger during his arrest directly to the DNA found on the sheath. 
That comparison showed a statistical match. Bada bing, bada boom. Thompson wrote in his court filing, quote, The IgG process pointed law enforcement toward Koberger, but it did not provide law enforcement with substantive evidence of guilt. The IgG info is not material to the preparation of the defense, end quote. By saying not material to the preparation of the defense, Thompson means the IgG information is not of significant evidentiary value when it comes to defending Koberger. This fight over the release of the prosecution's IgG records went on for eight months, but last month, Judge John Judge, who is overseeing the case, granted the defense at least some of the FBI's records from the IgG process. What was turned over and what may not have been turned over is unknown to we the public because the documents were sealed. A forensic DNA expert named Tiffany Roy told the Idaho Statesman that Koberger's defense team is perhaps working toward leveraging its recent access to the FBI records to make a constitutional rights claim against illegal searches and seizures under the U.S. Constitution's Fourth Amendment. Roy, who apparently also has a law degree, said that the prosecutor's attempts to conceal information about the use of IgG to identify a suspect alone should give the public pause. She is quoted as saying this, I don't understand the government's argument here. You have an obligation to expose every part of your investigation, and then we decide what is important. If the FBI were doing the right thing, they wouldn't have to make these arguments. Put it all out on the table. End quote. Oy vey, I really hope that the FBI did not do anything illegal that could get the DNA evidence thrown out. But according to David Gurney, who is the director of the IgG Center, I didn't know there was an IgG Center, and a professor of law and society at Ramapo College of New Jersey, said he's never before seen a case where the defense team received access to this level of IgG records in the discovery phase. FYI, the discovery phase is the stage in a lawsuit where both parties, the prosecution and the defense, gather and exchange information and evidence relative to their respective cases. This allows both sides to build arguments and understand the other party's claims ahead of the trial. Per David Gurney, the next battle between the state and the defense could be over whether the defense will be allowed to present IgG evidence to the jury at trial. Apparently, IgG records have been introduced at trial a couple of times before, but only when the prosecutors chose to do so when they felt it was beneficial to their case. Gurney is quoted as saying this, It's potentially novel in that way. I would try to get all of this information in front of the jury. I would try to just muddy the waters by showing, oh, the state did all of these bad things, so therefore you should just not trust them at all. For instance, prosecutors have not publicly disclosed which genealogy websites police used to land on Koberger, only that the FBI submitted the crime scene DNA to, quote, one or more of the publicly available services. 
Per the article, law enforcement primarily works with two lesser-known websites called Jed Match and Family Tree DNA, but has at least in some past instances found ways to access DNA profiles on a more widely used platform with more users. Forensic DNA expert and lawyer Tiffany Roy added, quote, They, meaning the cops, have access to Jed Match and Family Tree DNA, and that's it. So if they didn't get what they wanted from those databases and need to fish around in other databases, I would be really uncomfortable with that, end quote. The article in the Idaho Statesman goes on to say, Ancestry.com and 23andMe are more popular competitors in the genealogy industry, but neither of the direct-to-consumer services cooperates with law enforcement, according to their websites. Instead, investigators have, in other cases, previously reviewed DNA profiles on MyHeritage, yet another of the genealogy platforms available online. The reason that they would have done it, if they did it, is it gives you access to a much larger number of people, a much larger number of matches, and in theory, that will make your job easier. Note that if the IgG records now in the hands of the defense reveal that the FBI investigators conducted themselves in an improper way or violated anyone's privacy to get to Koberger, it may help create legal openings for creating doubt about the evidence. And quote, some say it's just another technique, but this technique involves something more intimate than a body cavity search. It's in every single cell in your body search end quote. Wow, that really puts IgG in perspective. Most criminal defense attorneys would probably pursue the same approach, which is to try and create questions in the minds of jurors about the DNA evidence. LA-based criminal defense attorney Joshua Ritter said, quote, the probable cause affidavit is well done and showed high-level police work, but the remaining evidence against Koberger becomes very tenuous and circumstantial if the DNA is removed from the equation. That the defendant lived in the area, had suspicious driving habits, and possibly turned off his cell phone at the time of the homicides makes for a much harder case for prosecutors to prove beyond a reasonable doubt. I think everybody agrees this case rises and falls on that DNA. Their ability to match Koberger to the sheath at the crime scene is the seminal cornerstone piece of evidence, end quote. Note that at a hearing in August, the defense told Judge Judge that without the requested information, they couldn't effectively defend their client. For example, the defense shouldn't have to take the state's word that Koberger's DNA was found on the sheath. The defense said that the, quote, use of IgG and order of events in the Moscow homicide investigation leading to Koberger's arrest are crucial to providing a sound defense. We can't articulate to you, because of the lack of the data, the sequence of exactly how they got to our client and what happened when and in what order. And if it's shown that law enforcement brushed up against privacy rules in their pursuit of a suspect through IgG, the defense is eyeing a constitutional challenge, end quote. However, the article goes on to say that based on legal precedent, 
criminal defendants don't have privacy rights under the Fourth Amendment to evidence that they allegedly left behind at a crime scene. Police also do not need a search warrant to grab potential evidence from garbage taken to the curb. And swabs of Koberger's cheek for DNA, per Jeff Nye, chief deputy for the Idaho Attorney General's Criminal Law Division, local law enforcement did not use the FBI's IgG results in support of Koberger's arrest or for any search warrants that they obtained. There is a constitutional right to genetic privacy, and thus far there's no clear answer to this. This is something that will be interesting to watch. What will the courts eventually decide about this issue? I wonder how many people spit into that tube. I know I spit into that tube without considering whether police or anybody else could get to my genetic information. Judge Judge said at an August hearing, quote, I don't want to get into the Fourth Amendment issue there. I think that's a gray area for sure. What it suggests is that folks should probably be cautious about sending their spit to some corporation. But I just don't know how much that's going to bear on what ultimately happens, given the sequence of what happened with Mr. Koberger. End quote. Don't you love Judge Judge? I do. Say it like it is, Judge Judge. Be cautious about sending your spit to some corporation people. There's another scenario, by the way, and that is that the FBI may have used crime scene DNA from the sheath to conduct an IgG search and instead found Koberger's DNA profile on a genealogy website. This would have given them a direct hit on Koberger. A year before the crime in Moscow, Koberger told a fellow Washington State University graduate student who lived in the same apartment complex that he had submitted his DNA for testing to learn about his ancestry. Professor of Law David Gurney is quoted as saying this, Suddenly the possible constitutional implications would no longer be about the DNA left at a crime scene or the rights of those genealogy website customers who didn't agree to allow law enforcement to access their profiles for use in a criminal investigation. Koberger himself would not have consented for his DNA profile to be used in such a way. I think that scenario could be really interesting from a constitutional perspective. It's not clearly a vicarious claim because it's him making a claim for himself. End quote. But Gurney also said the chances of that are low, even if Koberger previously submitted his DNA to a genealogy website. Most people use either Ancestry.com or 23andMe, which law enforcement can't access and requires customers to use each company's proprietary testing kits. But Koberger could have downloaded his DNA profile from either service and then submitted it to GEDmatch or Family Tree DNA, but still not agreed to allow law enforcement to use it for investigations. Gurney says he's not aware of any cases in which this has happened, at least not so far. And here's another quote from the article. In yet one other scenario, Koberger could have originally sent his DNA to MyHeritage to produce a DNA profile. FBI investigators then would have had to upload the crime scene DNA to the website while conducting an IgG review. Against the terms of service, 
but as the federal agency has previously been known to do, Gurney and Roy said, and landed on the exact match for the suspect. I think it would be unethical, Gurney said. It would be something that I would strongly urge them not to do, but it's not illegal for them to access the MyHeritage database, if that's indeed what happened, end quote. But Ritter saw the possible constitutional implications if the FBI did violate MyHeritage's terms of service, which in turn could be argued also violated Koberger's Fourth Amendment rights. Defense attorneys, he said, might be able to argue that it wasn't only the use of his own DNA profile that infringed on his expectation of privacy, but also the use of his DNA's connections to relatives, which would also identify him based on the agreement he struck with the genealogy company when he paid for the service. It raises the question, is the FBI operating in that gray area and using this website that people believe believe has their information and is being protected from law enforcement when it's really not. That's a lot to ponder. What do you guys think? Let me know in the comments. Until the next time on Bed Crime Stories.